podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braitman. Today, we're sitting down with John Farragon to talk about a topic that's on the minds of many healthcare providers, the ever-changing COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome, John. Uh, hey, Mariana. Thanks for having me again to talk about uh, COVID-19 once again, right? So, so as most of us know, viruses are constantly changing, and this includes SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. These genetic variations occur over time and can lead to the emergence of new variants that may have different characteristics. So, John, can you give us a brief overview of the COVID-19 variants? Yeah, um, sure, Mariana. That's what I thought we'd cover today. You know, the, the SARS-CoV-2, um, basically the virus has a genome that, that encodes um, uh, instructions that are kind of organized into these little sections called genes um, that basically are involved with helping to build the virus. Um, so scientists basically use a process called genome sequencing, um, where it actually decodes the genes and to learn more about the virus. So this genomic sequencing really allows the scientists to identify um, the SARS-CoV-2 and monitor how it changes over time into new variants. So basically what they're, what they're looking at is changes in the, in the genomic patterns in, in the virus. And specifically with, with SARS-CoV-2, it's usually going to be involved with the spike protein. Um, so really to understand these new cha- these changes really um, to determine how these are, these are going to affect the characteristics of the virus. And then really the most important piece is how to translate into that, into either into vaccine development or into um, uh, how it might impact public health and also how it might impact, impact treatment. Um, for example, some of the variant viruses that we have um, are of particular concern because they spread more easily. And, I don't, and many of us are, are hearing, um, at least today, in, in, in uh, this is early July 2021, we're hearing a lot, a lot about the um, uh, the Delta variant, right? We'll talk a little bit about that. But, you know, these uh, potentially may escape the body's immune response or escape treatment or potentially escape, you know, um, vaccine. Um, so as the CDC and public health partners sequence more of these genomes, it's really going to improve our understanding of which variants are, are circulating in the U.S., which ones are emerging most quickly, and really, uh, I think, which variants are the most important to characterize and track uh, in terms of a, of a public health perspective for the CDC. How do variants occur? Yeah, so this is, a you know, if, you, if you've done HIV work, this is very similar. Basically, the virus genome is packed inside of an envelope that contains these proteins in it, including that spike protein that, 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 that you know, that binds to, um, uh, that, that binds uh, when you initially get uh, COVID infection. Um, mutations are changes, basically, in that genetic core of the virus that naturally occur over time when an animal or person is infected. And while a certain amount of genetic variation is expected, to occur as, as the virus spreads, as SARS-CoV-2 spreads. It's important to monitor these circulating viruses for key mutations that happen in important regions of the genome, in particular that, that spike protein. So many of the mutations don't affect the virus's ability to spread or cause disease because they don't alter the major proteins involved in infection. So eventually these are outcompeted by variants with mutations that are more beneficial for the virus. So really it's all about evolutionary biology, right? It's all about the virus trying to survive and making changes to the virus to overcome either um, uh, the host, right? To overcome the host or to overcome, you know, interventions to, to uh, either treat the virus or interventions to prevent the virus from, from taking, you know, taking up infection, which is basically what the vaccines are doing. And really you can find a lot of this information on, on how these mutation and variants are, are, are tracked, et cetera, um, 
um, on the CDC, CDC SARS-CoV-2 variants web, web page. It's very helpful. The CDC has got a lot of stuff on, uh, on variants that are there that I encourage you to take a look at. All right, John, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Can you walk us through the exact variants we currently know of for COVID-19 and what their unique characteristics are? Yeah, so this is probably the most important piece of this, uh, I think, of this um, this podcast today is to really talk about the ones that are most important. So let's just do some, just go through some classifications and definitions. So I just want to say sometimes I might slip up and say B117, which is now alpha. So there are some nomenclature changes that have occurred where we're not using the numbers anymore. We're really used, supposed to be using the Greek alphabet um, on how they're how they're naming the, the individual uh, variants. But I'll kind of use both, I think, just so people are clear on what on which variant I'm talking about. But really, um, these these uh, these genetic variants have been merging uh, and circulating throughout the world. Uh, the mutations in the variants in the U.S. are, are routinely monitored through this uh, sequence based uh, surveillance. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in a few minutes. Um, the U.S. government uh, interagency group, um, the SARS-CoV-2 interagency group, the SIG, um, has developed a variant classification scheme that defines really um, the variants into three different classes, variants of interest, variants of concern, and variants of high concern. So, for example, variants of concern are the ones that we're probably hearing the most about, the alpha one, which is the, the old B117, the, the beta, which is B1351, and then the Delta, which is the one we're hearing a lot about now, is B1617.2. And then there's the Gamma, which is, which is P1. Those variants are all circling in the United States and have been classified really as variants of concern. Um, to date, there's no variants of high consequence, and that's really the, the biggest concern, um, uh, the biggest concerning variant, but there's none of those in the United States. And I don't think across the world, I don't think there's any variants of, of high consequence at this point. But all most of the ones that we're hearing about are variants of concern from the CDC standpoint. And these lab studies have really been done really suggest that, that even some of the monoclonal antibody treatments may potentially be less effective for, for some of these um, COVID-19 cases that are caused by these variants. And we can, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. And we've also actually talked about this in a previous uh, version of um, of our podcast where we talked about treatment and we talked about monoclonal antibodies and the effect of certain variants on some of the monoclonals. But the one that's, I think, uh, we'll start with um, with one of them. This is just an example. Um, this is the Epsilon. So this is B1427 uh, and B1429 is very, very similar. So these are the these are actually uh, called Epsilon, Epsilon together. These are basically the ones that were found in California. Uh, it's a combination of two. So the one thing that, that, that always comes up is that both of these have about a 20% increase in transmission. Um, and they do have uh, some redu reduction in susceptibility for the, um, the BAM lenivimab plus etisetimab, which is the bam eti combination monoclonal antibodies. But really the, the implications of this really isn't known. And, and also alternative monoclonal antibodies for both of these are available. So we can use the, um, uh, there's a couple of them, but one of them in particular is the um, Cassivermab plus Endevimab, the Cassi plus Endevi. So those are, that's kind of the combination. That's the Regeneron combination that, that that's out there. Um, there might be some reduction in, in, in uh, neutralization by some of the convalescent plasma. We're not really using as much convalescent plasma as we used to for, for patients. And then basically, um, the, this was de-escalated from a variant of concern on, in late June because uh, there was a decrease, um, uh, a significant decrease in the proportion of, of, of these uh, 427 and 420 epsilon um, um, variant that's actually circulating now. So we're not seeing that, that as much. So the next one I want to cover is B1525, which is ETA, E-T-A. That's the, that's the name for this one. There's a potential reduction in, in, uh, in some of the EUA monoclonal antibody treatments. And there's also 
a potential in, in reduction in neutralization by some of the convalescent plasmas, even some of the post-vaccination sera. But again, to the, what extent, I think is really the really the big the big question still on that one. Um, IOTA is B5 to, B1.526. This one also has um, uh, has reduced susceptibility to that BAM and etisevimab. But again, those alternative ones are, are going to be available. So you could use um, etisevimab plus, um, sorry, um, uh, casivivimab plus, um, plus uh, endevimab as an option to, to treat th those patients. And, uh, and that's, that's interesting. Uh, B1617.1, um, this is Kappa. Um, again, this has been, uh, has been shown to have some, um, have some reduction in neutralization by some of the monoclonal antibodies that are available um, for EUA and also reductions in neutralization by some of the post-vaccination sera. And then um, there's there's a couple other ones which I'll cover just really briefly. Um, the the 617.3, this is the the um, the World Health Organization has not labeled this one yet, but that's this is another variant. And then there's the P.2 variant, which is called Zeta. Um, and all these may potentially have reductions in some of the EUA monoclonal antibody treatments. So the bottom line is the question is which variant it is. There's a numbers classification that's old, and now there's a new classification, which is really using the Greek alphabet. And based on, on the characteristics of those viruses, they've worked it out where they can tell you whether or not some of the, um, some of the monoclonal antibody treatments are going to work or not work, um, and whether or not the, um, the virus is neutralized by some of the post-vaccination sera. To date, so far, as far as we know, um, there, there, while there may be some reductions in, in, in efficacy of some of some of the vaccinations, all the vaccinations appear to be effective for these. And, and in the places in the United States, just recently, there's some data where it shows where in, in the U.S., if you look at that Delta variant, the places where that's becoming a problem are in places that have the lowest vaccination rates in the country, at least in the U.S. So, again, I encourage people, again, it goes back to this whole idea. We need to get as many people vaccinated as we can. And while, I don't know, we're probably at 56, 60 percent probably um, fully vaccinated, but even just if, if you if you um, if you don't get vaccinated, you, you are still at risk for some of these variants. And I think that's really the, the the key the key point, which I think on some level calls into people talk about herd immunity, right? Where people if they have already gotten the vaccine, if they've already gotten um, the uh, the COVID nineteen, they, they they you know enough people have been infected where more people won't get infected. Well, it, it's clearly we're clearly not there. While there might be a lot of people who have actually gotten. COVID-19, clearly these variants for people who are unvaccinated can be very dangerous. And we have to continue to monitor that as we move forward. And, you know, we're looking at the, this is probably, you know, this is again, the, the middle, roughly the beginning of the summer, going into the mid, mid part of the summer uh, in 2021. And I think we, we, I think people are still a little bit worried about what's going to happen with these variants. And I think it's, these are valid, valid concerns. Um, and I just want to show this. I, 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 I can't, you know, we can't show you things on, on the podcast, right? But I encourage you to take a look at this on the CDC website. There's a really great um, variant uh, proportion graph that they have that basically has all these different variants listed. And over time from like April, let's say, or March or April into like the middle of June right now, that's as far as they've gone. And again, this is the, this is the early to mid to mid um, uh, mid July. It'll tell you basically all the variants that are there and whether or not um, what's actually happened over time. And you can see that the, that, that Delta variant is really um, one of the major, becoming one of the major uh, variants in the United States and overtaking the, um, the B117, which was the, um, the, the one from, um, um, from, uh, from the UK. So just, just be aware that these changes are tracked very closely with the, uh, with, with the CDC.
John, I think a question on a lot of people's minds, you know, with all these different versions of COVID-19 is what is the CDC doing to track SARS-CoV-2 variants? Yeah, so this is really interesting work. And, and I can just tell you at Albany Medical Center, you know, we, we send samples to, to, um, to, to, to labs as well. And sometimes our, you know, we have an epidemiology person who sends out some of the variant data, which is very, very interesting. And I'm sure major academic centers have this. But there's really um, the, 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 the leading system is the National SARS-CoV-2 COV-2 Strain Surveillance System, this NS3 system. And since November of, of, um, of last year, 2020, they were receiving samples from health departments, other public health agencies in there. And basically they sequence, they characterize them, and then evaluate them. Um, and they, um, they were re- re- uh, scaled up to receive roughly 750 samples per week. And I think the the strengths of the system are really, I think, the, the ongoing regular collection of numerous representative specimens across the entire country, and they can characterize those, those viruses pretty quickly. I just want to tell you, I mean, we're so lucky that we can actually genomically, you know, sequence these viruses pretty quickly. I mean, if this was, you know, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to do this. And a lot of this technology actually came, I think, a lot of it actually mirrors the HIV virus, right? Because, you know, basically, it's, these are like genotypes for HIV, where you find the mutations. But you know, years ago, before we had genotypes, it was really hard to figure out what was going on with resistance with HIV, and it would take a lot of time. And these 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 systems are really, really good, and they can sequence multiple s- samples at the same time. Um, the CDC is also partnering with some of the large commercial diagnostic labs as well to sample those. And the CDC really has commitments to these labs to sequence roughly 20,000 samples a week, and they can scale up in, in response to the nation's needs. Um, they're also collaborating with some of the universities. Uh, they're supporting state, territorial, local, and and tribal um, health departments, which I think is key. So many of the state and local health departments really have been um, applying these resources uh, to um, integrate some of the next generation sequencing and bioinformatic capabilities in in the public health system. So that's really a big part of what I think the health departments have really offered. Um, And, um, you know, to further these efforts in, in late December, the CDC released a a $15 million um, COVID supplemental funding um, through the epidemiology and and lab capacity program to help um, state, local, and and tribal health departments to kind of get get some of this work done. And then finally, um, there's there's one system called the SPHERE system, uh, a consortium, uh, which uh, consists of more than 200 institutions, uh, includes academic centers, includes industry, non-governmental organizations, public health agencies, and these are all kind of involved with um, uh, with providing genomic data uh, being made available through some of the public databases for use by public health professionals, researchers, and, and industry. I, I want to make sure that, that everybody's clear that, you know, uh, locally what's happening in your area, um, it, it, you can find this out. You should be able to figure this out. You should be able to find databases that are able to search, you know, individual states, what's actually happening in different states and different areas, and your local health departments may be able to help you do some of that work. I know that we're, you know, we were on going with our health department as well to make sure that we uh, we are aware of what these um, of what these variants are. But some key points though be, before we kind of round this out, you know, I think the the most important thing is that I want to just make sure that everybody that's listening today, you know, we still have a lot of work to do for vaccination. And the people who are, like I said, the people who are at highest risk are those people who have not been vaccinated. And these variants will potentially, um, you know, uh, cause severe disease in in those patients and. And, um, you know, there may still be hesitancy out there. We still have a lot of work to do to make sure that people are, are vaccinated. I can tell you that 
the vaccination efforts, at least in New York State, that I'm aware of have really been uh, unbelievable and and huge amounts of resources have, have been have been put out to, to try to get as many people vaccinated. But that's really, really the key. So regardless of what we talk about with the variants, the key piece is, again, vaccination. And, and that's going to be the, the, the key message, I think, that we have to continue to spread. And especially those who are vaccinated um, and trying to get people who aren't vaccinated to, to kind of make that decision. And we were looking at almost a year um, of, of data now, uh, a year, almost a year and some where some of these studies have started, we're coming up on a year um, with a lot of these, a lot of these, um, a lot of the mRNA vaccines. And, and I think, um, and obviously the other, other platforms as well. And I think we just need to continue to, to, um, to encourage uh, vaccination. I can't say that enough. And I'm sure anybody who's listening to this would agree who, um, who understands how this, how this virus is, uh, is transmitted. So. John, thank you so much for joining us today and walking us through the different forms that this ongoing virus takes and what we can do to keep ourselves and others safe. You know, most importantly, like you said, getting vaccinated. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.nikaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.